The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed, here we are, and welcome, welcome. And if you know the code of how I open the show, welcome, welcome, means we have two panelists today. You want to run with the game changers. You are in the right place. Before I start with the buzz on the street, let me read you the title of this episode. It impacts businesses from whether you're, I call it a a startup with a gleam in your eye, you want to save the world, you want to change products and services and humanity and everything, or whether you're already a big company. Here's our topic, HR globalization and localization more than meets the eye, question mark. A little bit of a challenge in there. So let me tell you what the buzz is. I found an interesting quote from a gentleman named Lee Kiang, and it's L-I-K-E-Q-I-A-N-G. He's the current premier of the State Council of the People's Republic of China. Very interesting guy. And here's the quote, very telling. We live in a global village. No country can live in isolation of others like Robinson Crusoe. Now, if you don't know what Robinson Crusoe is, any of you out there who are very young and either weren't assigned this in school or it just passed your desk and you just said, next, uh, Robinson Crusoe is a story written by, let me see who wrote this, by Daniel Defoe, published in 1719, and believe it or not, it is one of the most widely published books in history. I'm kidding you not. So go find Robinson Crusoe, C-R-U-S-O-E, and learn a little bit about it. Uh, basically, he was shipwrecked on an island and learned to survive all by himself. So there's isolation. We we don't do that anymore. We don't need to. So the reality check is you can't be global without being local. What does all of this mean for a CHRO? Okay. Well, one of your first considerations, if you're in the HR field, if you're running it for a company, if you're just part of that team, you need to deal with compliance to local customers, okay. You need to deal with compliance to local and global business regulations, okay. You need to deal with legal practices all within local and industry best practices, okay. If you don't deal with all of this, if you don't comply, if you don't cross your T's and dot your I's, you could be at risk of being shut down by a country that says, "Uh uh-uh, you didn't do something right. You're not kosher. We're not going to let you continue to be in business. Or you might be fined or stopped in some way. You really don't want this to happen. So what is the challenge here? 
HR needs to create a brand-based experience that translates policy to practice while keeping people at the center of your globalized business with a local feel. That is complicated. That is complicated. And that's why we have two experts here on the panel today. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, and they've both been on the series before, welcoming back Nicole Sahin, the CEO of Globalization Partners, and joining her is Barbara O'Kane, Global Strategic Advisor at SAP Success Factors. I'm so pleased to be speaking to both of them. Nicole has sent us a quote from Henry Miller for her opening. Henry Miller, I didn't know his middle name was Valentine. Henry Valentine Miller, 1891 to 1980, an American writer known for breaking with existing literary forms. He developed a sort of semi-autobiographical novel that blended character study with social criticism, philosophical reflection, explicit language. We'll just let that one sit on the table surrealist free association and mysticism as if that wasn't enough if you want to know what he wrote how about tropic of cancer in 1934 black spring 1936 tropic of capricorn 1939 the rose crucifixion trilogy 1949 to 59 and by the way his work was banned in the united states until 1961 go figure it out he was a hero for the beat generation most notably jack kerouac he was married five times i'm just going to leave that one alone here's the quote nicole has selected One's destination is never a place, but a new way of seeing things. Nicole Sahin, welcome back. How have you been? Fantastic. Thank you, Bonnie. It's nice to be here. Oh, we're delighted. We have to do a shout-out to Dr. Patty Fletcher. I think she's in Barcelona at Mobile World Congress. I saw her on a video yesterday with uh, Annika, Anka Wittenberg from SAP talking about inclusion and diversity and more opportunities for women in the workforce. So, Patty, shout-out. I think you're listening. I know you're paying attention here. Patty put together this panel, so thank you for inviting Nicole and Barbara back. Nicole, talk to me about this quote. Are you a big fan of Henry Miller? Did you know his work was banned until 1960? You know, I wasn't aware that his work was banned, but I, I'm familiar with it, and more. Um, and I and I enjoy reading his perspective on things. But even more than that, um, I, I specifically love this quote because, and I think it does apply to HR as well as. I mean, it, it originally intends for travel. One's destination is never a place, but a new way of seeing things. But I think it also, more importantly, can apply to one's work when they work in a global industry, and especially for HR directors who are recruiting and negotiating with candidates all over the world. Um, What we often hear, you know, a candidate request or um, not even a candidate, but could be your existing team. So, Mm -hmm. for example, um, in the Middle East sometimes our our clients' employees will request things like a paternity bonus. They just had a kid, you know, and they think, oh, you know, uh, the manager will ask on behalf of his employee, is this person entitled to a paternity bonus? We don't get paternity bonuses in the United States. That would be considered highly unusual. And one has to sit there and chuckle and say, well, why should I give a bonus to somebody for becoming a parent? And yet in that culture, you know, it's very patriarchal, and you celebrate on behalf of your employees, oh, you're a father now, you have to take care of your family, you'll need more resources. We should give this person an increase or a bonus in their compensation. So not just a, it's more of a familial relationship between the employer and the employee, rather than strictly compensation-based or merit-based as we perceive things in the United States. And I think sometimes our clients think, they wonder, am I being taken advantage of or what do I not see? And really, you know, looking through the lens of another culture, you can really see the reason why things are from an HR perspective. 
And so um, it's one of the great pleasures of, of being an international business and helping our clients expand all over the globe is learning how different cultures work and, and how that comes out in a really tactical way. Very interesting, Nicole. And before I get to Barbara, I just want to ask you, was my opening on track when I said if you violate the rules of a particular locality in another country, another geography, another geographic footprint, if you will, um, could you be shot down? Are you facing fines? Are you facing banishment? Not like Henry Miller exactly, but how bad is the are the consequences if you, oh, I didn't know that we did things that way in that country. Oh. How bad could it be? Yeah, I mean, you're, you you nailed it because um, it, it's a company and an employer's responsibility to make sure that all the laws are followed in a country. So right now, we do, we're all doing business internationally. As you said, no one lived in isolation of others. And so we're operating in a global legal environment, but there is no one global unified law. There's really no such thing as international law that covers all the different countries. What we do instead is we... We, anytime a company expands into a new country or hires somebody in a new country or does business in another country, you try to do business in a way in that country that you're not breaking any of their laws. Not you try. You're legally required to do that. It's, the onus is on the company and on the employer to make sure that all the labor laws are followed, all the corporate laws are followed, and there's really no excuse to not know. It's just the same as in the United States. If, you know, if a company came here and they were... Um, creating food products and they didn't follow the laws around food safety and they were just selling things off a cart in the street, that'd be completely illegal. And in some countries there's, you know, of course one, one can always face fines and taxes, which is frightening enough, but there's actually criminal penalties in some cases because employees are people and, um, and one's really legally required to take care of them and, and you have an obligation towards them. So employees are particularly well protected. Um, and in my career I've gotten calls from clients who they'll receive a letter from the government in the UK or Belgium that says, you know, the director of your company is going to go to jail if you don't respond to this because we've been trying to get a hold of you and nobody's been responding. Um, This is the last letter that we're sending to your attention. Now, what our clients don't know is that it's actually a form letter. They send it out habitually. (laughs) Probably nobody's going to go to jail, but it definitely will get one's attention and, and make you pick up the phone and call the authorities to make sure that things are cleaned up. Thank you, Nicole. This seems to me to be a little bit of a, a conundrum, and I'm going to get Barbara on a second here and get her comments, but we'll start with her opening quote. Because when we think of, I do this radio show, you know, we have 14 series right now, Game Changers Radio for SAP, and I speak with people all over the world. And when I think about my guests, I'm thinking that they are connected through the magic of whatever kind of phone line or a Skype line, and a voice over IP, they are coming to me and I don't need to know or care where they are. So what we're saying now is that it matters where your employee is a resident. It matters where they call home. It matters where they get the gas for their car or where they where they plug in their electric car. It matters where they get their their uh, utility bill. It matters where they where they shop. It matters that they are somewhere in the world as a resident of that place. And even if it seems seamless because of the ease of communications today, your company has to deal with where they are. Is is that as simple as it is and as basic? Can we reduce it to that level, Nicole? It's 100% that, that if, if, if you have an employee in another country, you're legally required to follow the laws in that country in, in relation to that person's employment. So you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I think, I think in an ideal world, and that's actually what my, my company does on behalf of our clients, is that 
we have an overlaid legal system for our clients so they can plug into our our legal infrastructure and we engage the employees on their behalf. So we're trying to create an overlay that lays over that for our clients so they don't have to deal with all the laws in the different countries. But without that type of infrastructure, um, and, and in any case, you are legally required to follow the laws, and it does indeed matter where that person is. And it's so different than, like you said, picking up the phone, because in an ideal world, we could just do business yeah. with anyone anywhere. And that's Absolutely. what we'd all like to build. That was my point. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you very much for uh, allowing my my questions, my sidebars. Barbara O'Kane is waiting patiently, and Barbara has sent us a quote, very common quote. I'm going to read a couple of variations. It's attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. That's President Theodore Roosevelt. However, it appears in Chapter 9 of Theodore Roosevelt, an autobiography published in 1913, and he attributes this quote to somebody none of us have ever heard of, called Squire Bill Widener. And this was, a he was a prominent figure in Washington County, Virginia. He bought a mill, so he was a millwright. He was a Confederate soldier, a teacher, a Sunday school superintendent, a justice of the peace, and a spiritual advisor. And Teddy Roosevelt was a friend of his. And here's the quote. So we'll go with the attribution, Barbara, that it was Teddy Roosevelt, but he is really quoting his friend, Squire Bill Widener, whatever whoever that guy was, and I have a whole thing here on somewhere. Here's the quote, everybody. Do what you can with what you've got where you are. And there are variations. Do what you can where you are with what you have. Do what you can with what you have where you are. But the, the gist of it is, where are you? So, Barbara O'Kane, welcome back. How have you been, Barbara? Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be back. Thank you for having me and um, allowing me to talk about the uh, topic that's just... Uh, near and dear to my heart. It's uh, it's what I do every day, and 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 just totally love the localization, globalization, you know, features that uh, are existing in our world today. So Thank delighted you. to be here. Thank you. We're we're so happy, and again, shout out to Patty Fletcher for inviting you to join me and Nicole today. So, Barbara, do what you can. Let's go with the classic one. You do what you can where you are with what you have. Let's just say Teddy Roosevelt said that, fine. We'll leave Squire Bill to his own PR. So how does this apply to HR, globalization, lo- localization? This almost sounds to me a little laid back. Hey, you got to do what you can with what you got, where it you are. Does. It does. It does in a way. Um, yeah. And it, has, uh, it resonates with me on two different levels. One, on really sort of a personal level, because it, re- it, it uh, sprang out of something that my parents always used to, to say to me. You know, I can't have everything all the time, you know, but, but on the other hand, you can learn to be extremely resourceful and, and do whatever it is that you need to do at the time where you are. And, and we, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I came from just kind of a normal middle-class family and, and it, it helped, I think, me reach into myself and become a little bit more creative and dig down just a little bit deeper because sometimes you have more than you know that you have. And, and I think it also serves, helps us launch into localization and globalization in a way that says, you know, you are where you are and therefore you're going to have to deal with what you've got there. You can't ignore it. You may have to get creative and committed to it. Um, but it, it's a, I thought it was a good segue. And, and you know, um, I, I'm crazy about the Roosevelts, uh, all of them. My grandmother was, was friends with Eleanor Roosevelt, but all of the oh, Roosevelts my. are just, they intrigue me. 
Very interesting. Did you know that uh, Squire Bill was the one who originally said this? This person, we don't even know who he really is. Did I you have ever no hear idea. Of no idea. Bonnie, you always enlighten me. <laughs> I am flattered. You enlighten me as well. I'm honored to be in the presence of you and Nicole. So let's go back around to, uh, well, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question, Barbara. I asked Nicole the question, uh, was I oversimplifying when I was saying wherever that person ha- pays their taxes, let's say that, or, or chooses not to pay their taxes, that's where you have to deal with those local laws and the penalties and the, the even it's a form letter that scares the you-know-what out of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's really that serious, isn't it, that it, wherever it they can, are. It can be. It can be. Um, and on two points. One, you know, I get questions all the time of, I've only got one person in that country. Not, not an uncommon arrangement. I've only got one person, and they're only going to be there for, you know, six months to set up the office or whatever, you know, the, the situation is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, we've got to know what the, I don't care if you've got one or a thousand and one people there. You've still got to follow the laws of the land, whatever they are. Furthermore, it also applies to even independent contractors. Um, you know, you've got to be watching for immigration status. You've got, there's so many, at so many different levels, you've got to be so cautious about where you're stepping into or where you're stepping and how you're stepping out of it. So no, you did not, you did not oversimplify. And the second point is that we are, um, faced with the potential of becoming an increasingly Political, and that's my kind word for it. Yes, political I know. globe. And, and people can, um, use any sort of excuse that they find, um, to bring attention to, um, someone's political status. And, and gosh, I just wouldn't want to be caught in the middle of that fray. <laughs> so mind your P's and Q's. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're becoming a, a, a world where you have to mind your P's and Q's as well as your paperwork every mm-hmm. time you venture anywhere. And, and it's going to be, I'm going to be traveling for SAP business in, in about uh, two and a half months. And I'm concerned about having the right paperwork just to go from one local air, one U.S. airport to another U.S. airport. I have uh-huh. to make sure I'm allowed to come home again. So I know it, it is becoming an issue. I, I think this is just a fascinating topic, uh, Barbara and Nicole, that, that where people are, it just, as we said, it doesn't matter how easy it is to talk to them or video conference with them. It's where they are that matters. It sounds like you need to be a very patient, resourceful genius and a student of world cultures and world legalities and world compliance laws if you want to be in HR. And and let's get this down to the, the real basics. Any company that's starting today or that has already been in business for a while is going to be somehow doing business around the world and they may very well want to have someone on the ground in other companies. Nicole, how prevalent is it that a company would actually say, nope, we're only hiring in the U.S., we're staying here and, and we're, we might have some consultants but they're not technically on our payroll and, and we refuse to do global compliance because we don't have anybody elsewhere. Is that existing anywhere today? Um, I, I'll take that as two separate questions. So I would sure. say that um, with professionally managed companies, so that would be a venture-backed or a private equity company, private equity-backed company, or certainly, obviously, a public company. So um, any type of professionally-backed company, is they're almost always going internationally right away because that type of investor, a professional investor, is typically looking for a company with some IP or some real growth strategy. And the thing is, is that in today's interconnected world, um, if you don't get 
to those international markets first and, and start doing a land grab. Somebody else will grab your IP and build a replica of your business in that country. So companies go international very quickly, and I'd say that's been going on pretty much since the late 90s. Um, and so companies are pushed to go globally much quicker. And usually it's not that they're hiring, um, it's not that they're outsourcing American jobs or anything like that. It's more often than not that people are, companies are hiring one or two salespeople in each country. Mm. So that's where you get into the thing, like you mentioned, Bonnie, of, um, you know, it's one or two people in each country. And I would say that before a company goes public or when they're still quite small, they might fly under the radar and just pay people as contractors. Um, and there's some risk related to that, or quite a bit of risk depending on how big the company is and what the employees are doing. If you have a sales employee in another country who's generating significant sales activity, it's definitely a risk to have that to just pay that person as a contractor because just like the United States, if somebody looks like an employee and they smell like an employee, they're an employee, and therefore you're, you're legally required to follow the laws in that country rather than paying them under the table. Usually companies do a cleanup. Uh, so they might, if they started hiring people as international contractors, we inevitably see them doing a cleanup job down the road. If there's any listeners who are in that stage thinking, oh, gosh, you know, we have been paying that, that person in some country or, or our team as contractors, and we know we need to clean that up. In my experience, it's so much easier to just shine a light on what's in the closet, clean, mm-hmm. clean out the skeletons, and deal with them. And what it normally looks like is, looking at your employees in those countries and, and, and coming to a mutual agreement of, look, this, this is an employee-employer relationship. We'd like to clean this up, and that means you're probably going to incur more taxes, and we're going to have to pay more benefits. And, um, and it ultimately becomes a negotiation because sometimes the employees want to become legally qualified as employees, and sometimes they push back because they may, they may have some tax benefit of not having been um, paid correctly historically, but the catch is is that you know while the employee will say, "Look, I'm very happy with this situation." The problem is is that because the onus is on the employer to make sure that the employment relationship is legally compliant, if anything happens, like the employee gets caught not paying his or her income taxes in country, it's the employer's fault, and they're the ones who are going to get black blacklisted or owe those back taxes on behalf of the employee. So it's it's definitely worth it from a company's perspective to, to first do it clean from the first place. But if if it needs to be cleaned up to make that investment and go ahead and get it done. So Nicole, could I paraphrase with your permission and say you can run parentheses your company anywhere in the world, but you can't hide? Could we say that? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's funny. I might borrow that, Bonnie. Thanks. You you certainly may. You're most welcome. I'm going to tweet it in as something from me. Very, very interesting. Now it's time to get a little up close and personal here. I want to know where you're calling from. As I tell my, we, we talk about privacy topics, data privacy, digital breadcrumbs on, on many of our show topics these days. It's just such a OMG. What are we telling the world without even giving permission to use our data? Well, we're just planting it everywhere we go. So I don't need the Google map coordinates of the roof of your office, but I'd like to know what city or country are you calling from today and you know what I'm going to ask what's in your cup today Nicole and Barbara what are you drinking right now if it makes you smile and if not what would you rather be drinking so Nicole <laughs> where where are you I'm darling it's from Boston right across from the old state house and um, I'm on the 26th floor it's really windy today we can actually feel the building being pushed back and forth and the drink that always makes me smile is black coffee. I uh, was with a friend over the weekend who just had a baby 10 days ago. And um, 
I, I felt really groggy all morning. I thought, what is wrong with me? And later that day, I finally had a cup of coffee, and I, and I realized, oh, my gosh, she must have been drinking decaf. So black coffee always makes me smile, and, and that was a, a reminder. And mazel tov to your friend, uh, first child, second child? Third. Third. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Production yeah. time. My goodness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm glad you got your coffee fixed. There you go. Barbara O'Kane, uh, little birdie says you're back from a trip somewhere. I am. I'm back from the uh, Caribbean and then uh, also went to uh, some spring training games in uh, in South Florida. I have a niece who's married to a starting pitcher, and uh, so we, we finally got to, to spring training. Not that I care anything about baseball, but it's a, it's a family thing. We had a great time. And I'm back now in a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina. It's called Cary, North Carolina. Very mm-hmm. often voted one of the top ten places to live in the United States. And, uh, and I am drinking, what am I drinking? This is a Poland Spring Mandarin Orange Sparkling Water. I just bought a, a four-pack of them yesterday. But if I had my ways, and hopefully I will later on today, um, I will have a nice cold glass of a Sauvignon Blanc from the Marlboro region of New Zealand. That's my favorite drink. Oh, not yet. <laughs> Thank you. You could have told me you're calling from somewhere in Germany and that it was cocktail hour and we would have said, no, okay, just a sip. Not yet. Thank you. I remember you and I spoke uh, last year. I have relatives right near you in Raleigh-Durham. Remember? That's right. They just, right. just built a house there. That's right. So we are talking today with two very engaged, engaging, authentic, real-time experts who are deeply immersed in this topic. It seems like a landmine we're talking about. No matter how big your company is, if you have even one employee who lives somewhere else who's working for you, you need to be aware of the globalization aspects, the localization, what are the compliance, what are the legal aspects of where their footprint is, where they live, where they pay their taxes. You can't run, you can't hide. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Nicole Sahin from from Globalization Partners and Barbara O'Kane at SAP Success Factors. And again, a shout out to, oh, we've got ASUG SS is following us, ASUG Services and SUPP. I assume that's support here in, uh, yes, they're on Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Very interesting topic. It's practical. It's pragmatic. It's something no matter where you are, no matter how mature or what your company's footprint is, you need to be paying attention to this good information. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start the roundtable. I think we already did about it. 10 minutes ago. That's the way we run the show. Lots of good conversation with Nicole and Barbara. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw because the sun is out. But Nicole, I'm on Long Island and the wind has been whipping around. Two o'clock in the morning, I was still working, putting together today's shows and I'm hearing bam, bam, bam. Glad I didn't have shutters on the window. It was just vicious out there. Still a little windy today. Oh, don't blow me away. So we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Kevin out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP SuccessFactors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. 
Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change. All to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Here we are, and we're speaking today with Nicole Sahin at Globalization Partners and Barbara O'Kane at SAP Success Factors. We're going to start our roundtable in earnest, as my mother likes to say. I told her I had a date with a, a guy named Ernest once, a blind date many, many years ago. I came back from the date, and she said he was his name is Ernest, but was he sincere? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just Ernest sincere? Anyway, okay, yes, enough of the puns, Bonnie. Thank you very much. So whenever I say in earnest, I'm thinking, sincere, earnest, sincere. So, Nicole Sahin sent me a lot of topics for our roundtable, as did Barbara O'Kane, and, and let's talk about where this is all coming from. Nicole says, most countries' employment laws can be tied back to the history of that company. For example, Russia is one of the most bureaucratic places in the world to engage a workforce. Brazil and most of Latin America have ridiculously, that's her word, ridiculously strong labor protections because of their history of socialist-leaning governments. And then she talks about Europe. Nicole, love to get some more background from you. This is fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite things. I'm, I'm a little bit of a um, historical fiction geek, and, and I love knowing the history of the history of different countries because it tells us so much about labor, labor law and culture and, and, uh, but yeah, the, the tying out to law and labor law and how people are protected, um, as employees is really tied back to the history of a country. And I, I just find that fascinating. Um, and you know, one thing that, that has come up recently in our organization is, is related to data protection and Europe is, is very tight. Um, and, and that includes things like payroll data. So, asking your employees for their social security number and letting that information leave the country, um, storing it on a U.S. server, for example, um, and, and telling them exactly who has access to that information and what it will be used for and, and how you're going to keep it secure is really important. But not only is it legally important, but people are kind of fanatical about it. And part of the reason people are so... Uh, crazy about making sure that data protection is followed is because the Nazis used personal data in the 40s and fit in the 40s um, and 30s, mm. I suppose, to track down Jewish people before and during World War II and, and other mm-hmm. people that they wanted to persecute. So that type of thing, um, factoring into a culture and the laws that, that are tied to a country, again, is, is really fascinating. Um, other things that are really interesting, so for example, uh, in, the, in the United Arab Emirates, there's a system in place by which when we pay employees payroll, we have to 
run the payroll. So all the contracts, employee contracts, are on file with the government. And the government, we run payroll by the government. So when we send wires, it goes through what's called the WPS system, which is the wage protection system. And the government agency cross-checks the amounts that are being paid to the employees to make sure that matches the amount in the employment contract. The reason is is because people uh, in the Middle East, um, people come from all over the world to work in the United Arab, Arab Emirates, and the employer hold, can often hold the passport and they hold the visa and the right to live and work in the country on behalf of the employee. So if, the, if that employer stops paying the employee and yet holds the visa sponsorship for that person to live and work in country, but they stop paying people, they're eventually turning their employees into slaves. That person really has mm. no means of leaving the country or having control over his or her own destiny. And so the government's put this system in place to protect people. And what, how does that tie to the history of the country? I mean, it, it ties to an entire economy that's run by expatriates and people who really don't have a lot of protection in place, and also that these are such, in the Arab oil emirate states, are such young countries and such young economies that their labor laws really just, and, and the history of protecting people is really just developing over the last few years. So Qatar is another oil Arab state. Um, we had to terminate an employee at one point who was a Syrian national, and if we terminated that person, we had to send him home within one week to his or her home country which was an issue because his, his home country was at war. You know, we'd be sending this person into a civil war. Mm. So, um, but the labor laws of that country had only been written seven years prior. So a whole country that had only had labor law written seven years earlier, I mean, that's the type of thing that one runs into uh, when doing business in 150 countries, and, and I find it really fascinating to see how it all ties together. It is and, fascinating. And I'll take Nicole's point and, and go Please, even yeah. a little bit deeper from mm-hmm. um, a software solution standpoint because, um, for example, in Saudi Arabia, normally when you uh, fill out all those forms, when you've been hired by a company, um, you put in your name, you put in your spouse's name or your significant other's name or you know whatever it is these days. But in Saudi Arabia, we've had to expand just the number of fields because... Um, a Saudi man can have multiple, many, dozens of, of wives. And so, you know, all of a sudden we had to go from one field to, um, we put in there like an unlimited number of fields, but I think we eventually stopped at 150. We're just waiting for the guy to come along that says he's got more than that. Um, but, but the, and the same thing goes along with, um, uh, Spain. There are, we're responsible from a payroll standpoint for payroll taxes dependent upon whether or not um, you are in a region that permits bullfighting. Uh, there's a bullfighting tax. So it, it gets really interesting and, and of course, um, steps back into the historical basis of that particular country. Wow. Very, very. I was just going to bring you into this and ask if you had any stories. Fascinating, Barbara. That's a, that's a cultural thing that we would never think of here. You know, no. very often it'll say, are you single, married, divorced, whatever? And then it'll say spouse's name in the U.S. Uh, am I right, ladies? In the U.S., there's just one line and you can check NA or you can just use that line. Uh, we now have more options for gender on a lot of mm-hmm. work forms, right? right. For, for gender, mm-hmm. uh, yes and no, and maybe, and this one and that one, and don't know and not sure and all of that uh, with all the new laws and opportunities for marriage and partnerships and all that. But I never thought of 
multiple spouses. Fascinating. Anything else you want to add to that, uh, Nicole, before I pick a topic from Barbara's list? I have a really hot topic here. I'd say go for the hot topic. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? They're all hot topics. This is interesting. Barbara O'Kane says, everybody take, everybody sit down before I read this. You're not going to believe this. This is a warning. She says, cross-border business is not for the impatient or the faint of heart. The global stuff is the easy part. Which language is spoken? What currency is used? What date format is used? You know, year first or date first or month. That's straightforward. It's not bothering any CHROs. It's when we go into real localization, how and what each local government defines vital information is different and not necessarily static. And here's the scary part, Barbara says, the rules are changing all the time. Barbara, please tell us more. Well, and the rules are changing all the time. So um, I I think I, you know, I almost want to go back to my Teddy Roosevelt quote um, and say, you've got to be resourceful. You've got to be committed. When you go into a, a, a transnational uh, corporation of business, you've got to, to know why they're global and you've got to be committed to it because every country that you go in, I don't care if it's two countries or 102 countries, everything is going to be a little bit different where you go. So a lot of patience is required. And I'm sure Nicole will back me up. You get surprised every day by some of the, the, the differences. But in, in spite of the world being as flat as it seems to be these days, or maybe flatter these days, it's still not flat. It's not. And, and in spite of globalization, local and regional differences and distinctions are still, they still abound, and they're increasingly important. So, I mean, I think that this kind of segues into um, uh, the, the, the importance of, of being connected across all of these and um, the, I think the advantage is going to go to the, 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 the data smart CHRO who, who leverages technology. And, uh, um, and I, I think the, the, best, um, the, the best technology, the best company to leverage that technology is, is going to win ultimately because one of the big reasons that, um, as Nicole said earlier, that uh, companies are expanding is to, is to learn and innovate. And if you're not in there, somebody else is going to be in there in your space doing it uh, instead of you. Very, very interesting. Um, I want to get Nicole in on this. Nicole, do you, you agree that it's not for the impatient, which is one side of, of how do you tolerate change and things not being static and dynamic rules and maybe at the whim of some bureaucrat in some country or faint-hearted? I think those are two very different characteristics. Do you agree or disagree, Nicole? I, I couldn't agree more. And I think... Um, well, there's a few things about us being American that I try to, you know, I'm American, and um, I, I, I suspect I hear a, a Southern accent, so I think Barbara's American, too. I'm just I am, indeed. That. She is. <laughs> but, um, and since we're in the United States, it's, it's safe to assume that many of the people who dial in are American, or, or if not, that um, they're used to working with Americans. And the thing about Americans is that we have such a direct communication style. We mm-hmm. expect things to be so clear-cut, and it's either a yes or a no. And um, what I found is that in, in, in many other countries, the onus is not on the speaker to be very direct. And in fact, that can be quite rude. And, mm-hmm. and that actually things can be fuzzier. So um, it would be impolite in a lot of Asian countries to say no directly, for example. And this is just an example. But um, so, for example, in Japan, 
our lawyer will typically say, tell us that something's difficult. Now, he's, he's telling us it's not going to happen and it's impossible. But as Americans, we hear difficult as it can be done, but it's going to be expensive. And so we think, okay, well, it's going to be difficult, but tell me what it needs to do and what it's going to cost. And the Japanese lawyer will think, oh, gosh, she didn't understand. Oh, it's going to be very difficult, he'll say. <laughs> and then we come back and we think, oh, gosh, this is really going to cost a lot. Okay, tell me what it's going to take to get, get it done. And he'll just stop answering questions, which I think goes to Barbara's uh, and stop answering email, which requires a lot of patience because the, the holy grail in American business communication is you never stop answering your email, even if you have to say no a million times, but you would say it no more directly. And um, so it's that type of thing, like these communication barriers that someone saying something that you didn't quite understand or something gets lost in translation that I think ties to the not uh, or to being patient and then things popping up all the time that are always confusing or difficult to deal with or just the laughable thing about, like in some countries, the laws don't always make sense. You know, there might literally be two conflicting laws that don't really tie out. And at the end of the day, you just have to grin and bear it or accept that things are, that you, that you made a mistake or missed something along the way. And so not for the faint of heart, it's certainly true. And, um, and patience goes a long way. Certainly does. And I'm, I want to see if we can squeeze in uh, one or two more topics before we go to our crystal ball predictions round in about oh, 10 minutes from here. I'm looking at Nicole's notes. Here's a, here are a couple of statements. You talk about our very direct communication style here in the U.S. in North America. I think Canadians might be similar, but I'm not sure. Um, you say our current status in the U.S. is being the most litigious country in the world. Over 70% of the world's lawyers live in the U.S. I did not know that, Nicole. I'm just going to leave that one alone. That was just a little information uh, trivia, maybe not so trivia. Here's where I want to go. You say here in your notes, Nicole, models that exist for global expansion or hiring in a new company. Let's do a little, whether you like to call it a primer or a primer, on how companies, how people are listening. Let's go from the standpoint of uh, somebody is a very small company or they're a startup that didn't yet dip their toe in the pool or hit the ground running yet. And they want to know, what in the world do I do? I've got some great people I just met online, and they're in different countries, but OMG, I'm listening to Barbara, I'm listening to Nicole, and this is a a veritable global landmine. So how do they go about doing it? And you say there's a way to do it yourself. So, Nicole, why don't you toss out one or two things, and then we'll have Barbara comment, and we'll go back and forth. I think this would be very instructive for our listeners. Go ahead, Nicole. Yeah, I think for a really small company or um, I think for a really small company, one way to avoid, so so a lot of the really difficult issues come around having actual employees in another country. And if a company can sponsor, can arrange things in a business-to-business relationship, then it's the responsibility of each company in each country to comply with the rules and regulations in that country. So, for example... Um, if I want to contract with a U, U, uh, an individual in the UK, I need to make sure I'm following UK employment law or UK contractor law, whichever one applies in, under the circumstances. If I just want to do business, if I want to do business with people who have a company in the UK, then that's a contract between two companies that happen to be in two different countries, and it doesn't pull in employment law. So I would say getting a lawyer who can help draft a contract with another company is a lot safer than working with an individual in another country. Do you have anything to add oh. to that, Barbara? I'm not. Yeah, Barbara, thoughts on that one? 
Uh, for the small companies, no. As you begin to think about expansion and growth, then I think you have to start thinking about technology. That it, it is impossible uh, and, and very expensive, quite frankly. And, and I'm an attorney, but, but you can't just keep hiring lawyers in the different countries to, to connect all the dots. Um, you as a CHRO will end up connecting all the dots and that'll just make you crazy. Um, I mean, that's what you're going to lose sleep over. And you never know about the, um, the quality of the advice that you're getting in the different countries. Because you have to remember, generally speaking, many of these attorneys are from those countries, and we've got communication issues and cultural issues, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's why I think technology is the, um, and, and the cloud, quite frankly, is probably the name of the game going forward. Okay, thank you. And let's go to, let's see, searching for lawyers. What else do people need to know? What are the other, some other basic steps for being able to do business and hire a global staff? Uh, Nicole, anything else you want to add? Um, hiring. How about the accounting team? Can we cover the accounting team? Do you need a CPA in every country? Do you need a CPA in the U.S. or an accounting firm that has a a global department? How how do you do that if you're a small company? Yeah, I would say if so, there's two options when a company's going. If a company wants to hire a team in another country, there's really two options. There's either um, you know engaging a lawyer and an accounting firm in that country. So let's say the client wants to, let's say a company wants to move into France. They can find a good lawyer and a good accountant in France, incorporate a company, hire the employees through that local company, set up employment contracts with a lawyer in that country, don't skip on legal fees in that country, and then um, on a monthly basis they need to do things like accounting, payroll tax filings for that company. So it has to be a separate legal entity, everything has to be done in French, um, and that's one option. The other option is to find a global employer of record or somebody to hire an employee on behalf of your company in that country. So if someone else is the employing entity, another company. Interesting. Barbara, thoughts on that? Agree, disagree? Well, you have another way of looking? Go ahead. There are three major things um, that you've got to be aware of as you go into a, a country, whether you're small or large, and, and, and one is um, language, quite frankly. You've got to be prepared mm-hmm. to, to do business in that, that language. Um, another is best practices and culture. You, you've got it. They're not the same, but I'm going to kind of lump them together here. Um, mm-hmm. And if you, you combine language with best practices, and I will use that to include um, everything from you know, currency on, um, then, then you've, you're, you're aware of the culture. And, and finally, there's the, the laws and the compliance. And I, I, you know, I think Nicole did a, a good job of, of covering that. But those are the three main areas. Then I'll go one step further and say that you've got to be ready to know what your organizational model is going to be. That um, do you want to have a lot of satellite offices? Do you want to have one big home office? Um, and because that's also going to drive a lot of your ability to globalize and localize. And I think um, back in the 70s and 80s in particular, there were a number of companies that made some um, pretty serious mistakes when they tried to simply operate out of, and I'll just say in this case, the, the, the United States. And they said, well, we're going to go into France, Germany, Belgium, etc. Um, but um, we expect everyone to act like us. 
No, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. It wouldn't work that way if someone from South Africa had a company and they came to the U.S. and expected all the U.S. employees to ask to you know act and understand and speak, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, as South Africans. Although there is English there, but um, but you know what I'm saying, and and that is that there is um, almost um, an arrogance there was during the 70s and 80s where um, well we're we're the we're the company everyone has to act and be like us and through many many very expensive mistakes found out that that just won't that won't work so we're on to a whole new whole new uh, evolution of thinking now Absolutely. I have two comments. One in your notes here. You have a wonderful quote from Nelson Mandela. You didn't give that quote yet, did you, Barbara? I don't think I no, heard it. No, no. Actually, Patty provided it, um, but that's a quote that, that she and I use a lot. Both of us do. I'm going to read that. It's, if you talk to a man, I should say, or a woman, in a language he or she understands, that goes to his or her head, their head. If you talk to that person in his or her language, that goes to their heart. That's a beautiful quote, Barbara. That's a really nice quote. Now, my question is, uh, years ago, I, I met a woman who was an etiquette specialist, corporate etiquette. And one of the things she liked to do was offer training to people who were doing business globally. Because when you go, something as simple as a business dinner, a business lunch, who goes into the table first? What side do you sit the guest of honor at, at your side? Who makes the toast if it's a business dinner, if it's a special occasion? Do you shake hands with the right hand or the left hand? Do you exchange business cards? What are the forms of greeting? And the whole concept was that there are what Barbara is calling here in her notes, soft differences, language and culture matter so much in doing business. Barbara, let me ask you first and then Nicole, and then we're going to go right to our predictions round. How much does that really matter today? Do, do people need etiquette training on how to to greet a team or a new employee if you're meeting them at an airport, whether it's a U.S. airport or in their country, how much do you have to know their culture and their style in order to make a good impression? You do. You absolutely should. You know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, um, (laughs) and and I think that many cultures are very forgiving of us, of of Americans, because of our reputation around the the globe. But you should at least try. And I'll tell you a quick, funny little story. Um, yeah. When uh, we have some very good friends who live in Rabat, Morocco. And a few years back, I took my two teenage sons uh, over to Morocco to visit. And, I, uh, and they had never been to um, a, a, another country that was a non-Christian country. And so I read a couple of books about... Um, because I wanted them to be aware of the culture and 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 how you know things were were going to be different, and I'd never been to Morocco either, so it was educational for me. And and I read this book about taking your kids to Morocco, and the first three words of the first chapter stayed with me, and they were suspend all judgment. Mm. And and every time something. Strange would happen. For example, I had to walk behind my male host. Um, he was a prominent uh, political figure there. I had to walk several steps behind. I had to cover my head and my arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm left-handed. Well, that won't fly in, in Morocco. Uh, you, you can't eat with your left hand. Um, and uh, every time the boys would question something, we would just go, suspend all judgment. And, and I think that you have to do that as a, a CHRO 
functioning in multiple countries. Just as Nicole was saying, some of these laws just do not make sense to us, but they're important to them. And if you want to, and I'll go back to Nelson Mandela's quote, if you want to capture a man's heart, you do need to speak in their language. And and as um, transnational organizations, if you want to engage and uh, you know your employees, if you want them to be committed to you and part of the the global team that you you've set up, you do need to be local. You do need to capture their hearts, and 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 by trying to understand the etiquette, that is one way to to help you make a, a step in that direction. Thank you. I'm glad I brought it up. I found this this woman I had known. Uh, her name was Judith Bowman. I found it fascinating what she told. We've got four minutes left. Let's circle back to Nicole M. Sahin. Nicole, I can give you a full 90 seconds for your prediction. Let's look at the year 2020, if you don't mind. Somebody told me recently, it's only three New Year's Eves away. Pick your <laughs> clothes. Get your party favors ready. Pick the champagne. Woohoo! Invite Barbara Walters. What can I say? And Barbara O'Kane, too. So, looking at 2020, well, you know, Barbara Walter, 2020. I never got that out of my head. That earworm just sits there. So HR, globalization, localization, more than meets the eye. Patty Fletcher, shout out to you. Great topic. What would be different if we met again in 2020 and had this conversation? Nicole Sahin, 90 seconds. Go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that in 2020, companies will be speeding ahead at the pace of light. I mean, things will companies will be even more global than they are today and the world will be even more flat. So I'm a big believer in, in video calling and video technology and I think that, you know, using that technology and it will become even more advanced that um, we'll be working across borders so much more. I also think that companies like like Globalization Partners are building a global legal infrastructure to make it very easy for companies to hire and engage employees across borders as easily as they hire employees in other states in the United States. So that makes it, will make it much easier. Um, And what else? I mean, I I just think that, yeah, globalization is the future, that as telecommunications continue to accelerate um, in the speed at which we communicate and that the world continues to become a smaller place, the world world gets flatter and flatter and flatter until we're all essentially uh, working and collaborating together without any regard to jurisdiction. Thank you very much. Very aptly put. As always, Barbara O'Kane, I saved, ooh, 90 seconds. Go. I couldn't agree more. I think as long as, as companies uh, continue to, to go global for three reasons, um, and that is generally to find new markets for whatever products we don't even know are going to exist, to reduce their costs by um, generally uh, achieving economies of scale and lower cost locations and, um, and staffing, and to learn and innovate. And I go back to what we originally started with because the diversity of ideas is what gives us those, those innovative, creative kinds of thoughts. And that's where everybody, and resources too, and that's where, that's where businesses are going these days. So I think we're going to see more technology, more innovation, more globalization, and more of a focus on localization. 
That's Thank my you very much. Thank you. Nicole, Sahin, Barbara O'Kane, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of you. The the engagement, you're engaging and engaged in the topic, obviously very smart, opened my eyes to lots of different aspects of this topic, HR, globalization, and localization. More than meets the eye? Dr. Patty Fletcher, the answer is yes, there is more than meets <laughs> the eye. And hopefully we've opened the eyes of our listeners around the world. Patty, I'm just going to say, why don't we do a part two of this later in the year. I think there's so much more to talk about. Love to get back with Nicole and Barbara. Shout out to Kevin and the Business Channel team. Kevin's our engineer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Where are you waiting for it? Are you here? Are you there? Wherever you want to work, try to work with a company that understands where you are and respects local laws and compliance and your culture. Wouldn't it be a beautiful world? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. This is the end of our broadcast week. We'll be back next week with five more hours of Game Changers Radio right here on the Business Channel. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.